Would you turn to Colossians chapter 2? We're going through the book of Colossians verse by verse. And um, we're marching our way and we find ourselves now in verse 20. Colossians 2. And we'll be going from verse 20 to the end of this chapter, which is 23. And the word of God reads, If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world. Why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. These are matters which have to, be, have to be sure the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. Last week we looked at two warnings from the Apostle Paul to that church. Church of Colossians. And we're like two black flags with skulls and crossbones all over them. It's like a, the church was like a, a ship that was sailing in the sea of this world. And then the enemy has launched two missiles to destroy this church. And Paul is calling us to be discerning. To identify those weapons of attack so that we would avoid being destroyed by the enemy. Here we are 2,000 years later. And the same written threat. In the Word of God, still written down in the Word of God, it is for us to continue to have our eyes wide open for the sake of the work that God is doing in and among us to flourish. What do we have to do? We have to be alert. We have to be alert. What were these two warnings? Just to refresh your memory. In one hand, we had this false teaching of legalism and on the other hand mysticism the first says your spiritual growth is determined by your external activities what you do and the other says are your internal visions and dreams are what determines your spiritual growth the first focuses on rituals, the other focuses on hidden mystic knowledge apart from God's word. Both are equally dangerous. In fact, not just dangerous, but both are deadly to any genuine church. Long before any church of Jesus Christ collapses and turns into a rubble, it would have to most likely fall victim to either legalism or mysticism. Let me put it another way. 
Christ and his authoritative word, the Bible, are the foundation of our faith. But both of these false teachings are powerful ways that would lure us away from our foundation. Once we move away, this puts you and I on dangerous ground. And if we give in to them, soon our church would find itself in its graveyard. But do you know what I'm thankful to God for? I'm thankful to God that I trust that none of us want that to happen. Amen? I, I trust that none of us really want the enemy to stab this church in the heart with the sword of legalism or mysticism and then watch it bleed to death. I know that all of us want this health growth of the body of Christ in this, in this building to flourish to the glory of God. Am I right? I can't hear you. Am I right? Yes. yes, you agree with me. So what do we do? Well, the answer is very simple. Simple. We have to adhere to the siren warning coming out of this book of Colossians. Colossians 2. We have to take very seriously this death threat of these heresies. And we've got to watch God, our hearts, and protect our brothers from falling into this trap. How do we do this? Well, every one of us must ask himself this question. Am I contributing to those heresies? Am I culpable of spreading or complying to legalism, mysticism? We must come before God with a submissive heart. Honest, genuine heart like David did and, and pray and, and say, Oh God, search, try me, search me. Am I leaning upon Jesus Christ, your son, for my growth? Or have I turned my heart to those false teachings? To some degree or another. Why we ask these questions? I'll tell you why. Because the force of today's text compels us to do exactly that. You see, Paul, after laying down these two warnings, what we looked at last week from verses 16 to 19, then what does he do? He doesn't move away from them yet. No, he goes deeper into them. He asks a rhetorical question. Now, what's a rhetorical question? For those of us who don't know what a rhetorical question is, it's, it's, it's a question that is asked but doesn't really expect a response because the answer to that question is obvious. Are you really going to drink this cup? Obviously, I'm, I'm saying, no, I'm not expecting you to say yes or no. I'm expecting you not to drink it, right? Something like that. Well, <clears throat> This question now stretches from verse 20 to verse 22. And then after that, Paul doesn't leave us without answering it. He gives us the answer to that question in the last verse, verse 23. Right Now, if we 
actually pay careful attention. We're going to look into it soon. If we pay careful attention, we'll notice that this question zooms in on particularly with the issue of legalism. Um, maybe it was more dominant. Maybe it was the umbrella. Maybe it's the root cause of mysticism. Is the foundation is legalism, perhaps. But he focuses specifically on legalism. And so what do we want to do? We want to stay tuned with the Apostle Paul and his subject. And so perhaps we may call these to be uh, same title as last week's. It's just an extension to it, really. And he gives us an opportunity to, to expound on legalism and reflect. Reflect. Um, and perhaps as we are reflecting, we do some soul searching. Again, am I culpable of spreading it? Or perhaps have I begun to embrace it? Let's search our hearts. And as we are searching our hearts, we pray that the Holy Spirit would burn his sin from us, from our midst. Okay, so what do, we, what do we know about legalism from this passage? That's what I want to focus on. Let's dissect this passage and find out what legalism is all about. Well, first, first point is legalistic people are judgmental people. Verse 20, Paul says, if you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world. Now, elementary principles, we looked at this back in verse 8, and we found that it's, uh, it actually means the ABC alphabet of, of the world. Elementary principle basically means, it's like, you know those books that you, you see, um, say like IT for dummies, or um, um, Microsoft Word for dummies. You know, it's kind of, kind of funny uh, language just to tell you it's just primitive, right? The same way. It means here that what Paul is saying is if, if Christ set you free from the primitive, the pathetic rules of man, if you're no longer under law but under grace, then... He presents this rhetorical question. He says, then why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to what? To decrees. It's a very important word. We looked at this earlier on. This word, it's, it's mentioned in verse 14. And it's specifically in the context of our forgiveness of sin. Let me read to you verse 14 so we understand what is in the mind of Paul. Paul says in verse 14 about, about God that he has cancelled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees, it's the same word here, against us, which was hostile to us and has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. So God took this law that condemned us that spoke judgment against you and I, he fired that law back 2,000 years ago and nailed it to the cross of Jesus. So in a nutshell, in a language that we all can understand, Paul is saying here, if Jesus has absorbed the condemnation of the law, thus set you free from its judgment, 
Why would you want to come back and be enslaved to that same condemnation? Now, what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, he tells you, we'll move on. Such as, verse 21, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Legalism. So false teachers that will come to Christians and they would say, perhaps in, in this modern culture, they would say this, you don't want to be condemned by the Lord, do you? Well then, You've got to listen to us. Don't come near this. What? What, what did you do? Did you, did you just eat that? We told you not to touch this thing, didn't we? Well, now you're under God's judgment. You, you, you should be terrified of God's wrath. And Paul says, why should you give an ear to such voices if Jesus already set you free from the condemnation of the law so that you would enjoy your freedom in Christ. Why? And the answer is obvious. There's absolutely no reason. It would be stupid to listen to those voices. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. Let me read it to you. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Do Christians obey the law? Absolutely, they obey God's law. But no man's law. And even then, and when Christians, when you and I obey God's law, it's out of gratitude. It is because of what Christ has already accomplished for us. Not motivated by fear of being condemned. But you know what legalistic people do? Legalistic people thrive in condemning others. They're not gracious. They are judgmental. They, they always have the, their antenna up and they have their eyes wide open like, you know, like security cameras and they like to monitor people, what they do and what they don't do. Just scanning. And, and on top of that, what they do is they erect for themselves their own man-made law. And they feel like they have this sense of entitlement to, to sit on a judgment seat, and then they begin to, to use their hands like a gun and they point their fingers at everyone who falls short to obey their laws. Why is he talking this way? You know, if he, if he really loved God, he wouldn't buy this big TV. Why is she dressed the way she's dressed? Don't you understand that women should be wearing skirts and men should be wearing pants? Do you want me to tell you a secret? Do you know, not many people may know this, but Jesus did not wear pants. Do you know that men started wearing pants about 200 years ago, in Europe at least? 
Now, I'm not telling you this so that, you know, men come next week wearing skirts. I'm not saying that you got me wrong and, and you're pushing it and you'll be giving wrong signals, okay? So don't do that. That's not the point. What's the point? The point is that legalistic people are judgmental. They have the tendency to really come hard and judge people. No mercy. And what I want to do is I want to dissect why that is the case. Why do you think they have that tendency? Well, it begins with this. It begins with the fact that they do not rest in that, that Jesus' blood alone makes them perfect in the sight of God. This is the heart of the problem. They don't enjoy the perfect righteousness of Christ imputed to them, that they're accepted before the Father purely based on what Jesus has done. Now, if you fall into this trap, what will you do? I'm going to follow God's law then instead so that I can obey it. No way. God's law is too heavy to bear if you want to be accepted by God on the basis of his law. So what will you do? You will do this. You will erect for yourself your own man-made rules, tradition of man. And you select and you choose what is suitable for you so that it will be easy for you to follow. So, it's so easy for you to give a present to your wife and during your anniversary. So what are you going to do? You're going to say, oh, he must give his wife a present in his anniversary if he really, really loves her. Or, or he must not celebrate birthdays if he's really a holy man. Or she, she, she's got to invite me to her home if she's truly, truly my sister in Christ. But you don't stop there. Because in order for, for those legalistic people to, to feel like this is God's law, that this is how God will judge me. and That's how I'm going to be accepted by God. What are you com compelled to do? You're compelled to impose these laws upon others that they have to comply to. Because in your mind now, it's going to have to be universal standards. And Paul says, watch out. Repent of this. Because this legalistic way of life will suck the joy of the Lord out of the church. So don't do it. Don't be judgmental. What do you have to do? Rest on Christ. And he's sufficient work on the cross for you. Okay, judgmental. Second thing is legalistic people are negative people. How do you know a legalistic person? Really grateful. Really thankful to God. The only thing that would make him really thankful is his own achievement. All right, let's read again. We haven't finished with this text. We'll dig deeper. And in verse 21, look at this. It says, do not handle. Do not 
taste. Do not touch. Do you notice what these have in common? Not, not, not. They're negative. They like to look at the glass half empty. They're never joyful. Always busy complaining and grumbling about something. There's something to complain about. It, it will be much easier to, to, to please a hungry lion with a piece of fruit than it is to please a legalistic person. I would dare to say, even if you burn your ten fingers and into candles, they, they will still have a frown on their faces. If you could comply with perhaps 99% of their silly rules and you fail in one, there is still hell to pay. Oh, and, 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 and what they do is they make sure everybody hears about their whinging. That's what they do. Legalistic people. Read the gospel. And you'll know that. Now, do you know why? Why do they do that? Perhaps particularly more so in this sermon, I'm bringing in my counseling life into this message so that we are becoming aware why we do what we do. You see, legalistic people are very self-righteous people. Self-righteous. And they believe they can reach up to God by climbing this ladder of self-effort. My strength, my power. So self-righteousness is the very heartbeat of that false religion. Now how do they feed this self-righteousness? Tell you how? By trampling upon other people. So what they do is this, they see people's fall shorts to be the steps of their ladder that helps them to reach up to God. The more people we trample upon, oh, the more we are superior, the higher they feel in getting closer to God. Where do we get this from? You remember the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector? Let me read it to you. Luke 18. If you want to follow with me, you can have a look at it, but yeah, I'll read it to you anyway. Luke 18, verse 11. You get this top-notch Pharisee. And he says, right, nice and sweet, iron garment. And he's standing there. He stood up and was praying this. And the scripture says, to whom was he praying? To himself, to his, that false trinity, me, myself, and I. He says, God, I thank you. Oh, they're very thankful people. But who, are they, who is he thankful about? I thank you that I am not like other people. Swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. God, I'm so much better than that guy over there. He's not looking up. He's looking horizontally. How come you, you think you're so much better? Verse 12, I fast twice a week. 
I pay tithes of all that I get. God never commanded to fast twice a week. He just made this up. But do you know how Jesus assesses legalistic people? Let me read to you part of verse 14. He says this. Jesus says, Everyone who exalts himself, climbing a ladder, will be humbled. The higher we climb this ladder of self-righteousness, the harder our fall would be. We've got to watch out from this devastating sin. You know, just to bring it home, you know that the war is going on between Hamas and, and Israel. And you know that gruesome, gruesome, ugly um, um, information that was relayed to us in, in YouTube and media, how the, that Hamas were, were using innocent civilians as human shields to protect their lives, right? It's terrible. I tell you something even worse in the sight of God. When we use our brothers whom Jesus died for as human steps to climb up upon their necks so that we can feel good about ourselves. Legalistic people do that. It's terrible. They're judgmental. They're negative. And third, they are externalists. What does this mean? Let's go back and read the text and see what that means. So verse 22, which all refer to things destined to perish with use. Destined to perish. By design, do not eat or drink. They're temporal stuff. Food is for the stomach, Paul tells us, and stomach is for the food. But God will do away with both of them. That's 1 Corinthians 6, 13. There's no spiritual value in keeping the commandments and teachings of men. They're all temporal. Oh, Jesus said it the best. Matthew 5, 17 says, Do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is what? Eliminated. Whatever it is that you eat, no matter what it is, you you will flush it down the toilet. That's what basically Jesus is saying. It doesn't really matter what you eat. Do you know what really matters? Jesus continues in the same passage, verse 18, and he says, But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from from the heart, and those defile the man. It's not about the external. The facade, superficial worship adds no value to your spiritual condition. It's the internal that matters to God the most. But legalistic people are externalists. They focus on the outside of appearance, outside appearance, and they ignore the condition of the heart. Perhaps the best illustration given to us in the scripture, as far as I know, is in Mark 7. Mark 7, verse 5. 
Pharisees and scribes, it says. The Pharisees and the scribes, these were the world champion in legalism. If, if there was ever an, an Olympic competition as who is the greatest legalistic person, the Pharisees would have won the golden medal. They went to Jesus and they whinged to him. And then they asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? Hmm? Why? But eat their bread with impure hands. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, right? Similar to what Paul just said. Look at the master's response. Jesus says in verse 6, he said to them, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you, hypocrites, as it is written, what? These people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. Hypocrites, meaning they're phonies, they're actors. They come as though they praise God, they, they cross every T and they dot every I, but they don't know how to spell the word worship. That's the point here. I recall when I was first saved long ago, a young Christian, before I even left the Orthodox Church when I was there, that's where I got saved, and I, I'm, I'm born again, I'm regenerated, and I'm, I'm entering his place. I don't know anything better to, to worship God, so I just got in. And, and in, the, in the mass, had my friend standing next to me, and, and God opened my eyes. But, but in the midst of the mass, what are they doing? They, they praying and they're praising God with an ancient language, Coptic, that nobody understands. And I turned to the person standing next to me, and I tapped him in the shoulder and I said, stop, stop, just stop for, for a second. Because he was closing his eyes and he lifted up his hands and he's just praising God. I, I said to him, hey, do you understand what you're saying? And he looked around, and his eyeballs started moving around. Everybody's speaking an ancient language. Nobody understands. And he said to me, uh, no. I said to him, so why, why are you saying what you're saying? He looked at me, and he looked a bit ridiculous. And he goes, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's crazy. Crazy. But brothers, if we point one finger at these people, we have many other fingers pointing at us. Legalistic people are not only found in the Orthodox Church. We've got to search ourselves, our own hearts. What are legalistic people? They're exter external, internal, meaning this. They come to church, but they never want to come to God. They open their eyes, but they never behold the glory of Christ. They lift up their hands in praises, but their hearts are closed shut. 
They have no problems criticizing this group or their group, and they complain, why is the curtain this color and, and not this color? Why is the stage high and, or why is the stage too low? And, and the music, why is the music too loud? Why is the music too soft? And they make themselves look like they care about everything except their heart. They're not broken over their own sin. And while they're not bothered one be putting everyone down that is not like them because of the external service didn't go there according to their likening. And yet they have no trouble one bit having this bitterness gripping their heart toward a brother who Jesus died for. And Paul says, which all refer to things destined to perish with use. It's all temporal. It's all temporal. You know, you're not going to face God and God will question you what the color of, of the curtain was. Right? What matters is the heart of worship. And Paul says, don't be intimidated by these legalistic people. Don't be sucked into this way of life. Let's continue, come to the end with verse 23, and Paul continues on um, about those externalist people still, and he says, these are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance, here is the external, the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion. There is a religion inside a religion. You've got the Christianity and those people that are legalistic, they follow a different kind of way of life. Wisdom, appearance of wisdom. Oh, these people are clever. Wow, she is too smart. She managed to pick up the fact that this curtain is gray. When I thought it was green, she must be smart. I actually think it's still green till now, but anyway. And, and, and they have this appearance of wisdom. You know, you have someone who would say, you know, I'm going to learn philosophy or whatever. And I'm going to go and do a course. And then they come and they flex their muscles in the church and they say some too complicated terms that 80% of the church don't understand. And everyone around, what do they say? Say, wow, he must be a very spiritual man. He's so wise. Look, look at him. He's so good. Why? Why do you say that? Oh, it's, it's like he's speaking in tongues. I can hardly understand anything he's saying when he's praying. He, he must be a very wise person. Appearance of wisdom. Self-abasement and severe treatment of the body. Ah, so they're not only looking like they're wise, but they appear to be humble. Self-abasement, that's the same word we used before, humility. Appear to be humble. Look how he reads the Bible. Look how he prays. Look how he's dressed up. Oh, what? He, he fasts. Wow. It's amazing. 
Or, or like we said last week, look, look, I, he doesn't want to pray in public. He doesn't want to serve the brethren because he feels so unworthy. I, he must be a humble man. Never mind, perhaps he would be a gossiper or he's hardly home to take care of his family. And never mind the inside. What matters is the external. And Jesus reads these people's hearts like an open book. Let me tell you what Jesus says to legalistic people. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Paul continues and he says, even though they come across wise and humble and they brag about themselves, how they're really, really good and everybody else is bad. But Paul says, are of no value again as fleshly indulgence. It will add no value to overcoming your fleshly passions. Why? Because legalistic people think that somehow, if we do not touch, if we do not taste, or whatever it is, then they think that if we keep this rule and observe this ritual, that somehow that will kill this evil desire in us. Paul says, no. They don't. If you could kill your evil desire in you by what you do, I dare to say to you with all boldness, Jesus would not have had to come. And Jesus would have died in vain. Brothers, the answer to not only kill the fleshly desires, but even more than that, to cultivate godly desires, totally relies on Christ. Oh, consider how much of great love God has for, for you, brethren. Jesus died for you while you're drowning in your sin so that you would never, ever have to fear being condemned. When he saved you, you know how he helped you to overcome your fleshly desires? When he saved you, he gave you a new nature. He already gave you New appetite. New desires to love Him, to honor Him. And when He ascended to heaven, He left His Spirit within you to empower you. And He placed, he placed you within His body, the church, to continue to be blessed by brothers and sisters who want to love you and to serve you. 
What is there that you need that Christ has not in himself and in the blessings he's given you that is not enough? He's given you everything necessary to overcome your fleshly passions. That's the point. Everything is at your fingertips. Does that mean I don't have to do works? Of course you do good, you do good works. Of course. That's why he gave us his word. In order to obey his word. Obey his commandments. Of course. But not out of fear of being condemned. That's of the past. You leave that to the Pharisees. But we do what we do. We obey God's commandments. Even to the point of death. Like those brothers of Christ in India. As an expression that says, that's how much we need you, God. It's an expression that says, Christ, we want to follow you. We want to pursue you. That no matter what you tell us, we will follow your commands. Because we want to have more of you. And the more we obey God's commands, because of Christ, for Jesus' sake, guess what happens behind the scene? His Spirit begins to, to transform us, to cleanse us, to remove these ugly passions and replace them with better passions. Hunger for Christ. Longing for Christ. And so, what do we do? We say, okay, I want to obey His commandments even all the more because I want more of Christ. So, since this is what the Bible tells us, why in God's name would we ever want to hold on to legalism that would stunt our growth, that would take us away from Christ? No, you know what we should do? Fling away this self-righteous attitude. Fling it away. Why? Because Christ and His ways, so much better, so much better. To enjoy the freedom we have in Jesus. Amen? For those of us who are unbelievers, I want to say something to you very quickly before we close. Do you know, self-righteousness is by far the greatest sin. Tax collectors and murderers and prostitutes were not the ones who crucified Jesus. It was the good guys. All other sins, apart from self-righteousness, when you look at them, they will scream at you, saying to you, here are thousands of evidences why you need to come to Christ. The only sin that will hold you back from coming to Him is when you're blinded to those thousands of sins, which is self-righteousness. How deadly is this sin to you? unbeliever you understand your war against god your maker your war constantly is that you're trying to prove to yourself and to him why you don't need christ that's the main war that you're fighting all the weapons that you're bringing out 
constantly is you try to remind yourself, I don't need Jesus. I don't need Jesus. And I call upon you, friend. Surrender. Lay down those weapons of self-righteousness. Wave that white flag saying, God, I have fallen short of your glory. I trample upon that legalism. And I see, I see my wickedness. I see how terrible I am. Oh, ah, my lust, my anger, my selfishness, my pride, that all scream to me, I need your son to save me. And with that attitude, friend, run to Christ. Run to him. Tell him, save me. Save me. I need you to wash me clean. Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, your word is, is true. What can we do but come to you with sense of humility and we pray, Lord, that you would continue to convict our hearts, that we would repent of having any milligram of self-righteousness that would hinder us from seeing our desperate need for Jesus. Cause us to enjoy him, to delight in him freely, without relying on our good works, but to rely on Christ alone. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.